What's up, y'all? Welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Shout out to our returning listeners and a high five and hello to everybody joining us for the very first time. Thank you for making time for us here in 2024. My guest today does a whole lot. She's an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Memphis, an affiliate faculty member for the Center for Workplace Diversity and Inclusion, an affiliate faculty member in the International and Global Studies Department, and an academic research fellow of the Benjamin L. Hooks Institute for Social Change, who received her PhD in sociology from the University of Maryland in 2018. Her research examines questions of race, identity, and belonging, and her work has been published in Social Problems, Sociology of Race and Ethnicity, Ethnic and Racial Studies, and Asian Pacific American Law Journal, among others. Outside of academia, she serves on the Korean American Adoptee Adoptive Family Networks Conference Committee. She is the host of WYXR 91.7 FM's Let's Grab Coffee, a weekly radio show featuring experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. And she's also the organizer of Memphis's first month-long celebration honoring Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Last but certainly not least, she has a new book out this month titled Out of Place, The Lives of Korean Adoptee Immigrants, which examines kinship, citizenship, and belonging through the case of Korean transnational, transracial adoptees and citizenship rights advocacy. It is my honor and an immense privilege to welcome my friend, Dr. Sanaa Leiborn, to the show. Sanaa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. It is such an honor and a privilege for me to be here with you today. And a high five to all the listeners. Yes, a high five. (laughs) It's a little bit later in the afternoon when we're recording this. Do you have some coffee with you right now? There is always time for coffee. You know that I have some coffee. Absolutely. I literally just finished my coffee on the way to record this. So I don't have any with me right now, but uh, I was like, I should probably have some coffee on hand for this There's conversation. There's still time. There's still time. That's true. That is true. We're going to take a quick break and I'm going to go make some coffee. No, I'm right. just kidding. Um, okay. Before we dive in, I know I just gave a big long intro for who you are (laughs) but for anybody who's listening who may not know who you are do you mind sharing just even a little bit more about yourself yeah I mean I'm a coffee lover I have a strong opinions about bagels and croissants um a plant person um some of my plants are not thriving in 2024 they wanted to get left behind last year and that's okay (laughs) okay. Um, yeah it's okay um and then of course I am a Korean adoptee myself um and have been in the Korean adoptee community uh oh my goodness since I guess like over a decade when I found the Korean adoptee community. And this was while I was in the D.C. area um, working on my Ph.D. And so that has been just such a gift to, you know, finally find other adoptees, you know, just so transformative. I am feeling I feel very privileged to be in community with you, someone who's been doing this work for a long time. Someone who has already graced my other podcast, The John Chi Show, with your presence (laughs) as a a guest on that show. And just somebody who has been in not just the show's corner, but my corner since I've Mm -hmm. been in community with other adoptees. And so I really appreciate you giving me the chance to have this conversation with you about Out of Place. And before we jump into the book, earlier today was just listening to your latest episode of Let's Grab Coffee with Dr. Dodson. 
He said oh, a few yes. things that really stood out to me. It was a fantastic episode and conversation. I really, really loved it. Um, so everybody go go listen to that. I'm going to link it in the show notes too for you. But one of the things that he said was, you know how to show up, but you don't know how to be present. You know how Ooh, to show yes. up for yourself, but you don't know how to be present. Yeah. I literally went, oh, at the exact same time <laughs> you did. Like, I, and I started dying laughing because I was just like, Wow, that is yeah. so profound. So I want to start there. Mm-hmm. How are you being present in this new year, especially when you have so many different things going on right now? Oh, I love that. That's such a good question. And yes, Dr. Justin Dodson, he is so phenomenal. Um, I love him so much. And any opportunity that I have to chat with him, I feel like I have to, you know, I feel so <laughs> lucky and blessed. And, you know, as as you know, because 100%. I mean, like that insight of like, you know how to show up, but do you know how to be present and actually bring all your intentionality and all your attention to the present moment. And that has been my focus really for the past year and into this year, of course, and just continuing, you know, hopefully throughout my life to be able to maintain that presence in the moment of not, you know, thinking about the future, worrying about the past, not rushing, you know, in any moment, but instead to bring my attention, both like my mind's attention, but also like my bodily attention, my emotional attention Mm. into the moment. Um, And I think as someone who historically have been very Um, like future goal oriented and always wanting to do the next thing, the next big thing or the next better thing, or it's a different orientation to life to say, you know, I'm going to be here in this moment and maybe this moment lasts a little bit longer than simply I've achieved something or accomplished something and now it's on to the next thing. Um, Something that I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, have you done the best you can do where you are? Because Mm. I think so often we have a goal and we check it off our list, um, you know, start the podcast or get this job or, you know, whatever it is. Okay, you technically you've done it, but have you actually done the best you can Mm. with that or in that? And I think that's different because that talks about maybe it's honing a craft or perfecting a craft or going deeper or, you know, just expanding and exploring where you are. And so that's the type of presence that I'm bringing now to all the areas of my life, like trying to go deeper and not try to just like rush to the next thing. Mm, I love that. Have you done the best you can with this yeah. goal that you've already checked off? Yeah. Like what's yeah. the next level? I feel like that's something I'm trying to incorporate in my own life, you mm-hmm. know, because it's easy to, again, scratch that thing off your reminder list or your to-do list and be like, yes, I made it here. And now I'm going on to the next thing. Right. But how can that thing that you have completed serve you further down Mm -hmm. the line? And how can you take it a step further? I love that. I love that intention behind that. And speaking of, you know, being present in this moment and really focusing on where all that attention is, you have Mm -hmm. this book out now out of place. (laughs) First question about it. How Mm -hmm. are you feeling in this present moment? about the book? It's surreal. You know, it's like each kind of moment unfolding, 
it gets realer and realer, right? Like you have a, you write a whole manuscript and like, wow, like wrote a book and then you hit submit, you know, to your editor and you're like, okay, it's really happening. Or you get the proofs and you're like, okay, it's really, really happening. Um, You know, and and then you see like, oh my goodness, there's a publication day and you're like, okay, wow, it's really going to be out in the world. And then you see people with their copies in their hand. You're like, oh my gosh, like it's really out there. Um, And then even now, like I personally don't even have a copy of the book yet. So it's still (laughs) somewhat like (laughs) it's real but I think it's going to be different or a different type of real when I hold a copy in my hand right like to have that tangible you know physical yes yes, tactile feel of the book absolutely so it's just like different levels um and then also as people you know read it and have their reactions whether they love it or hate it um or all (laughs) the feelings that you can have in between like i think that's just another like component of oh my goodness like it's out there in the world it happened a hundred percent and i feel like with a book too you talk about not earlier not going too far in the future you know staying mm-hmm. present and i feel like yeah. these feelings that continue to evolve and grow and as it like goes further and further from release date you know that will continue to change it can be hard to keep yourself grounded here in the moment and yeah. not have to like think further ahead and maybe not having the physical copy yet keeps you present because you're like let me wait to get that before right. i think any further beyond <laughs> Yes, yes. Just staying, staying in the moment, you know, because there's so many, you know, all we have is this moment. A hundred percent. You know, and that's it. And so to be able to experience this moment, um, I think is such a gift to actually experience it. Right. Because you probably had um, the experience where a moment passes you by and you're thinking like, wait a minute, was I even there? Like, did that happen? Um, Like, I don't even remember how I felt or, you know, because we just rushed so much or we're looking for the next thing or we're, you know, still beating ourselves up about, you know, that thing we did or said the other day. Right. A hundred percent. And I feel like, you know, speaking of rushing, I feel like this book is something that you can't rush through. You have to sit Mm. and take your time and be intentional with it. And personally, you call, you know, this moment a gift. Like this book is a gift to not only our community, but to people outside of our community who are looking for a deeper understanding of adoption. And so Mm. I read a little bit of, you know, that one sentence synopsis of what the Uh book is in the intro. Can you give us a little bit of a deeper but still high level overview of what Out of Place is? Yeah, I mean, it is this question of how Korean adoptees, transnational adoptees, transracial adoptees have been positioned as being out of place of these big ideas that are really important, you know, ideas of family, of race, of nation, of at its core, these questions of belonging, and how Korean adoptees have both been cast as being out of place, but then also how Korean adoptees have said, you know what, there is a place for us. And we're creating it in community with Mm. one another. And it's also evolving in each present moment, what that looks like. And so that's really the heart of out of place, both, you know, saying, here's how this community, here's how we have been seen as being out of place. But let me let you know how we actually feel about ourselves and the community that we see among one another and how we see ourselves as being exactly in a place that belongs to us. A hundred percent. I love that because I think not even just for adoptees, but for any 
person of any identity or community, it's that much more powerful when someone from who shares your lived experience uses their own voice and then amplifies and elevates the voices of others within Mm -hmm. that experience or community to tell that story. And I feel like that is what permeates through these pages here is it's not somebody telling a third person perspective of what it looks like to go through Mm -hmm. not only as the life as a Korean adoptee, but Think of yourself a little bit differently as an immigrant, again, out of place and step with the communities that you came from, the communities that you find yourself in now, and then the ones that you want to build. So Mm -hmm. I definitely think you've accomplished that. And like I I said at the top, you know, you uh, have been in this work for a long time. When I met you, you know, you were working on this particular book. But it always felt like and it's always felt like this was in the cards in some form or fashion. When did you know that this particular story was the story you were going to tell? Oh, that's a great question because there's layers there, right? right? I mean, you're absolutely correct. Like this story has been something that was going to exist, period, right? I, it was just something that had to exist in this world. Um, how it came to exist, you know, the how of it, who would know, but the, that the story was inside of me and needed to come out is absolutely mm. true. Um, but this particular story and the way it's presented, you know, in out of place was an ongoing process. You know, I started, this was some of my dissertation work, PhD work. Um, and you know, that helped me get the degree, um, but <laughs> it was also a lot of changes, right? The story that, you know, you all will hold in your hands is not what I wrote as a dissertation. Um, and that's because, our community is dynamic, you know, so certainly this is still a snapshot in time, uh, but there was just a lot of changes over the course of me actually writing, you know, these particular words. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that one of the things that stuck out to me is you Mm -hmm. start this book rooted in your own experience. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how your personal connection to this particular issue really fueled, I'm assuming, what led you into the work that you did and why you went to this particular direction from a PhD perspective in the first place? Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think as adoptees, it seems like we do a lot of (laughs) (laughs) self-reflection. Maybe by choice, maybe by force, (laughs) you know, like we're always just, we're trying to figure out how we fit, right? How we fit in this world. And I think that's a common question people have, right? Like, how do I fit in this world? Where is my, where is my space? But it takes a a specific, um, I guess, valence as adoptees, specifically as transracial adoptees, because it's always in your face, right? Um, And so... Just exploring those questions, wanting to know, like, are there people like me out there? Um, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, without connection to any adoptee community. And so I didn't, I honestly didn't know if there were other people like me. And that is such a, uh, can be a very isolating feeling, right? Like, you know, you're having this experience, but there's no one that seems to share it. And, you know, As a child, even though I had questions about like, okay, what does it mean to be adopted? What does it mean to be Asian American? You know, just all these questions. It there wasn't a place for me to find the answers, right? Like podcasts like this didn't exist at that (laughs) point in time, you know, Um, even some of the other ways that people connect now, like via social media or, you know, things like that weren't in that type of form or that easily, you know, accessible when I was really young growing up. Yeah. Um, And so 
going to graduate school was a way for me to explore this question of identity, of belonging. Um, And I knew that there was, I guess at this time I had kind of learned more about the adoptee community, even though there wasn't or it didn't seem like there was one in my local area. Mm -hmm. But I just knew that there were adoptees in the D.C. area. I knew that there was you know, this organization called Adoption Links DC. Um, And I knew that there were other Korean adoptee specific organizations in different parts of the country. And so I was intentional about, I want to be in a place where I could potentially meet other adoptees. um, And then also having that experience of being absolutely terrified to meet other adoptees (laughs) as well. It's like, okay, you're here. You have this opportunity. This is what you wanted. Why are you so like absolutely terrified? Um, But it is because you think you found your people. And then what if those aren't your people? Then what happens? You know? And I think that's a common experience, too, of where you're like, oh, my goodness, it's a community of folks just like me. But what if they're just not like me? What if I'm not like them? What if the people who I'm supposed to be just like, what if I'm still different? Then what? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I think layering or at least like leading with that personal, you know, connection Mm -hmm. to why this is so important, why this book is what it is, is so important because it lays that foundation to like welcome people and it makes it more accessible. You know, it makes Mm -hmm. it an accessible entry point because this is like an academic work as well. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call this like particularly a memoir. Is this more of like an ethnography? It's yeah, I would say closer to ethnography, definitely not a memoir, because even though I do open the book with right. that, you know, story, a uh, personal story, you know, I'm not really present in the book other than like a few, a few small moments, you sure. know, um, at the same time I am present in the book because these are also my experiences, even if I'm not narrating it from like first person. Sure. Right. And so that's the thing. Um, And I think that's important to have both like that personal experience a little bit. So, you know, like I'm, I'm in this community too, but then also to let the voices of all the other adoptees that I was hanging out with or formally interviewing, let their voices be the ones that really take center stage. Um, And so that was really important. Um, You've probably experienced where you've read something that's about adoption or about adoptees, but it's not written by an adoptee. Yes. And you can probably tell there's just something about it that even if it's not, you know, negative or derogatory, you can just still tell there's just something in it where you know, oh, you're not part of this community, you know? Well, it's like the way people play with language. And you can Mm -hmm. tell like when somebody is using language, but doesn't have a grasp on the language. And I say that because I, when I am editing my episodes, sometimes I'll be like, I said something like, do I understand what that means? (laughs) I'm like, did I use that correctly? And I'm like, okay, I got more stuff I need to work on. But I 100% get what you're saying because you can just read, especially when you come from that lived experience, you can just read into, read between the lines Mm -hmm. of like who this author is. And again, going back to this idea of needing more literature, more anything created by those people from that community and lived experience is so important. And you capture that here. And like you said, you know, you're present at the beginning and then you're not present per se throughout the rest of the book, even though you are. And like, Mm -hmm. I was almost going to push back on, I'm like, I feel like you are present there, not where you're centering yourself, but you are Mm -hmm. leading us along. And the the important part of that first, of this first introduction into the book, using your personal lived experience sets that tone 
and like mm-hmm. gets your voice in there. And it is your voice that helps elevate these other voices. And I feel like it's really interesting to me because the survey from 2016, which was mm-hmm. obviously happening during your dissertation PhD work, mm-hmm. is a through line through this entire work. Mm-hmm. And like you talked about earlier, you know, what you worked on then is not necessarily the story that's come out now. Right. What over the last seven years, any specific events that have happened for you that caused you to like take it from 2016, 2018 to what we get now in 2024? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about the Adoptee Citizenship Act and all the different iterations of that legislation that have been introduced. Of course, that's a key piece. Um, if, you know, Trump being elected and everything that happened during that time period and even post like what the reality we're in now, I think also shaped the, the way I told the story or some mm-hmm. of the different themes that I felt like um, people were wrestling with during that time that I was talking to them that now we see kind of some of the outcomes of those, sure. uh, those different occurrences. And then, you know, a major thing was everything that's been happening with the Korean adoption system in Korea and Mm. all the different lawsuits that have happened or even just like the Korean government's um, acknowledgement of falsification of documents. Right. Like that was unfolding as I'm like sending this, you know, the final version to my editor. And I was like, oh, like, it's a good thing. And then as you're writing, you know, when you publish something, you're like, oh, my goodness, I hope something like major doesn't happen to where it like completely, you know, changes everything. Um, but being able to include a little bit of kind of some of the the acknowledgement that Korea has given around sure. adoption kind of in that last chapter, um, definitely was something right that wasn't happening seven years ago. A hundred percent. Anything that happened that caused you maybe major or minor that caused you to like think, Oh, I want to go back to the board or, or go back to the revision and be like, I hadn't really thought about that mm. when it happened. Anything yeah. like that come up? You know, what's immediately coming to mind is actually the conversation that you and I ha- had the first time that we met in person. <laughs> okay. In, in, a, in D.C. In D.C. Yes, in D.C. Uh, the conversation around um, Blue Bayou. Mm. That was something that changed. Um, and that is why it was really important for me to acknowledge you in the acknowledgements, because that conversation really did encourage me to, I think, say some of the more um, unpopular adoptee opinions about sure. Blue Bayou um, and to write that in the book, which I think was really, really important. Um, on one hand, I felt you know, so when Blue Bayou, the movie came out and there were all of the allegations about stealing, you know, Adam Crapser's story um, and appropriating adoptee stories and, you know, we should boycott the film and this is terrible. And if you're an adoptee and you like it, something's wrong with you, you know, all of the, and this was what the discourse was in the 100%. in the community. And you know, I like the movie. I don't really have great taste in movies. So I don't know if it was a good movie or not a good movie. There's definitely critiques. There's definitely like I didn't sure. like, but in general, I did like the movie. But I was I found myself afraid to say that, you know, on social media. Right. right. Because everyone was like, oh, not everyone, but folks who had been in the community um, really felt strongly about it. And I completely understand why. But then I also saw folks who 
you know, maybe weren't plugged into a community and saw themselves represented for the first time and really appreciated seeing themselves in that way. Um, No, the movie was not perfect. You know, there's, again, a lot to critique about it. But for an adoptee to have that as their entry point to feeling like I'm not alone and for other adoptees to basically shame them and say, like, you shouldn't like this. Here's other adoptee media that it's okay for you to like. I was like, how how hurtful would that be if I see this and I feel empowered and seen and then have other people tell me like, you're not supposed, you're doing it wrong. right? Like you're not supposed to like this. A hundred percent. And I think that's one of the things I really appreciated. And I don't want to dive too deep because that is coming up on the end of the book. And I want people to be able to work their way to it because I think all of the extra context is important. I do feel like you captured a very nuanced view of that situation that rarely since has been talked about. If anything, I feel like that movie has fell off the face of the map and it makes me sad because there was so much potential there mm-hmm. and we, unfortunately, we let it slip away because yeah. of the dichotomous viewpoints that we took on, the stances that we took and not allowing for a lot of this nuance and middle ground conversation to happen that for most adoptees, we kind of fight for. We kind yeah. of fight for this uh, nuanced look, and yet right. for whatever reason, because of you know the appropriation of Adam Crapser's story, and because it was Korean and Asian focused as opposed to like globally focused, you know, mm-hmm. like for whatever reason, we just found ourselves on one side or the other. And I feel like in the book, you actually did capture the nuanced view and discussion that we needed to have then, but just couldn't do. Thank you. And I mean, and literally like, thank you, because it was that conversation that we had (laughs) that made me think about, okay, like this is an opportunity to to bring a more nuanced analysis or conversation about this moment. Right. And while this was a moment, you know, about Blue Bayou and Justin Chan and Adam Crapser's story, there will be more moments in the future that are going to be similar. And hopefully we can use this as a learning opportunity within our community to maybe have a different approach. A hundred percent. And that's one of the reasons, another of the many myriad reasons that I love this book is that you talk about, and it's literally in the title, the lives of Korean adoptee immigrants. And -hmm. I think thinking of ourselves as immigrants has been a topic that we really don't talk about very much outside of academic spaces. Mm -hmm. And so I think that even that idea that we could be immigrants is one of those unpopular adoptee opinions because for many of us, we want to see ourselves as like here Mm -hmm. as like American citizens that have these connections to other places. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about like how that specific idea and like being like, I want to talk about us in this way, because I think it pushes our discourse further because Mm -hmm. we need to be talking about this now. When did that like idea take shape in this iteration process of the book? Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely thinking about the Adoptee Citizenship Act and the advocacy, particularly as advocacy can can continue to unfold Mm -hmm. um, and how folks, we saw people changing their language from, you know, adoptee without citizenship to undocumented adoptee, right? And and aligning ourselves with other immigrant communities. And, 
you know, when you think about it, that is a heavy, it was a heavy lift for adoptees who maybe had never thought about themselves as immigrants, who, you know, the, the popular narrative about international adoptees is that you're just family members who happen right. to live, you know, in another country and had to, you know, travel to meet your, your family, right? Um, or that you just magically get here, but right. without immigrate. I don't know, right? Like that's not, <laughs> but that's not part of the story that we tell about international adoptees. We don't tell an immigration story. Right. We tell a family story. And so then the question is, okay, why can't you be an immigrant and a family? Right. Or what's wrong with being an immigrant? Like that is what we are. That is why adoptees are getting deported because we are immigrants and you cannot feel like one or not you know, say that that's kind of like how I identify or group I'm part of. But if ICE ever so happens to be at your door, they are not going to care (laughs) about how you feel or whether or not you ever thought of yourself as an immigrant or if you're connected to an immigrant community, right? Like that is still part of who we are. Um, And I think it's an important conversation because with adoptees and with international adoptees, you know, so often we are constructed as being exceptional, right? Mm. We're special. We're exceptional citizens. We're special immigrants. um, We're not quite immigrants, right? And so then what does that mean when we see folks like us who are immigrants being attacked or persecuted or, you know, all these things? How does that then stop us from building meaningful coalitions? We can call it allyship, whatever we want to call it. But how does that then make us comfortable with saying like, oh, you know, I'm not involved. I'm not going to, you know, speak up. Well, that's the thing that I think this conversation around citizenship, we lose a lot is that for all of us who have the privilege of citizenship, for whatever reason, it's easy to remove ourselves from or separate ourselves from our community members who don't Mm -hmm. and who did it. And while it's easy to advocate for said issue when you find out about it, like for a lot of people, it's easier even still to remove yourself from that Mm -hmm. conversation. And I love that you challenge this idea of like we're separate, but we're we're the same, but we're different still. And so we have to like separate ourselves. It's like a really an integration of this idea and this challenging of our own perceptions of our identities which I think as we formulate them, we don't necessarily challenge how we think about the identity. We challenge what other people think. Mm-hmm. And I think this yeah. is a good, important step for us to start challenging our own perceptions of our own identity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that builds upon a lot of this work that has come from adoptee scholarship, particularly Korean adoptee scholars, which I've really, really appreciated. We were talking off air about that. Mm-hmm. Like folks like Alina Kim and Kim Park yeah. Nelson and Arissa Oh and Kim McKee. And I do want to mm-hmm. caveat Alina Kim, not an adoptee herself, right. but mm-hmm. has one of many formative works within that community. And I feel like, you know, it just, it's, it's so evident within these pages that you're using when you see terms like contingent essentialism or the adoptee yeah. killjoy, like that you have not only done this work for you, but you've done this work in almost collaboration with all of these things that have come before. Yes. What do you hope that out of place adds to this lineage of adoption scholarship? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a, such a great question. And thank you so much, because that was my goal is to take what we've learned from all these other adoptee scholars and 
again, very seminal works and continuing to build upon it and put it, put my book in conversation with what they have done and what they are still doing um, in the scholarship, but also in our community as well. For me, what I'm hoping that Out of Place does is again, continues that conversation and then hopefully brings in some of the quote unquote unpopular opinions <laughs> as well. So really pushing, right? What does it mean for, you know, like in the example of Blue Bayou for someone not part of our community to create a media that kind of does represent our community, whether or not we mm. want it to, right? right? Because for folks who watch it, they're thinking this is a representation of Korean adoption, right? right. And so what does that mean um, for us both internal dialogue, but also in conversation with folks outside of the community. Um, again, thinking about like, what does it mean for us to be immigrants, but also what are the barriers for us to think of ourselves as immigrants and really mm. interrogating, you know, some of the beliefs that we have internalized because of the ways that oftentimes we are raised, right? Through this right. lens of, you know, whiteness or being, you know, again, exceptional citizens or honorary citizens as well. And so really hopefully... Um, what I want the book to do is to get us to kind of challenge some of those taken for granted assumptions about mm. who we are, where we belong, and even where we don't belong. Right. Well, I definitely think that you have added something that is going to do that for us. I think it prov it it rounds doesn't round out, but again, it's addition to, but it gives a more well rounded idea of what it means to inhabit this community, to be a part of this community. And not only that, but from a scholastic perspective that I think doesn't, it, it's like what dominates a lot of the conversation around adoptee literature. And we're starting mm. to see, you know, with like Nicole Chung or with like when we become ours, different kinds of stories that are being told. Yeah. And we can see that how those stories are also part of this fabric of like scholarship that has existed. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's a big thing for me in the show and the John Chi show and all of my individual work is like, we have to be recognizing these places that we come from, these people mm -hmm. that have been a part of this community are technically our ancestors, even though we live in the same, you know, like <laughs> we live yes. in the same time as them. They are our <laughs> ancestors who have been doing this work. And mm -hmm. you have, added your voice to this and you've added the voices of many other adoptees in in the spirit of an alina kim of a kim mm -hmm. park nelson the way yeah. that they capture the community the counter narratives that exist here you do mm -hmm. such a beautiful job of elevating those perspectives and again putting us on a path to start challenging our own preconceived notions of what it means to hold this identity and be part of this community mm -hmm. um what have you as you walk towards release and everything moving forward with the book, mm -hmm. what has this process taught you about yourself? And like, what are you really, what's like one thing that you're really taking away from this whole process that you're hoping to internalize in, in yourself moving forward? Ooh, such a good question, Patrick. <laughs> um, you know, what immediately came to mind was um, this idea that, um, purpose is personal, but it's not private. Mm. 
And I say that because there is a point in um, revising the manuscript because, you know, you can write forever. Like nothing is ever done. Right. You know, and, and that's the thing. Like it is this is a snapshot even of when I submitted the, the final manuscript. But I, I'm still going to have more ideas and I'm still going to, you know, evolve or deepen my thinking about some of these topics. And maybe there's something where I'm like, oh, I, was, I got it so wrong. Right. You know, right. who knows? Um, and so. All that to say, you can feel like you're really working and doing something by continuing to edit. But at a certain point, you have to release it out into the world. Sure. And there was a point where I was maybe editing, 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 rewriting. Um, and I realized I was a little afraid to like submit the manuscript. Mm, okay. Um, and I had a conversation with myself. I'm like, okay. Well, Sana, if you really believe that this book is like, it's a purpose project, right? That the book just has to exist. It's coming through me, but it could have been somebody else, right? Like it just, these ideas have to be out there. If you believe this is purpose, then like purpose isn't private. It's not just for you. Purpose is always going to be public. Mm. And I think that can be scary, particularly with something that is so personal, yeah. Right. Because the book will be out and people will read it and people, you know, hopefully will love it. And then there will be people who will be offended and who, you know, will hate it and will whatever. And, you know, there's a point in which you have to not internalize. Right. People can hate sure. the book. Uh, it doesn't mean they hate me or maybe they do hate me. But I mean, and that, <laughs> but, who knows? <laughs> but even still to not like be wounded by right. that, you know, in a way that makes me um, silent or, right. you know, or hide. Right. Like this story is so important. And I think, too, about, you know, what does success look like? You know, and for some people, I think they want to put their ideas of success onto you. You know, yes. like if your author is like, oh, you're going to be, you know, you must want to be a New York Times bestselling author. <laughs> That's actually not how I define success for sure. this book. Not because I don't think it's possible, but what for me success is if even one adoptee reads this and feels seen and feels mm. less alone. That's success to me. And I may never know. Right. If that happens. Right. And I have to be also OK with that. Um, and so I think there's a there's just a slight difference in how I think about, you know, this project. What does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to do the work that you are meant to do? Um, and again, just that reminder that purpose, you know, it's personal, but it's not private. Mm, I love that. Purpose is personal, but it's not private. And I like you're talking about, you know, defining success and like if I can give you any affirmation, it's like you have succeeded in that and to that definition, because I have been moved and impacted uh, by this Thank book. You. And I know, I mean, not to be omniscient, but I know other people will. <laughs> and I'm just going to get on my God mode real quick and let people, <laughs> let, let everyone know that I know that you'll be moved and impacted by this book, seen and validated by this book. Um, but purpose is personal, but not private. I think that is that's a powerful thing. And I'm already like, as soon as you said it, I'm like, okay, great. Clipping this out. This is a great <laughs> social media clip right here that people need to hear. And you made me think about, because like you said, you know, you're a little hesitant, a little scared to submit as you get mm -hmm. to this final product. And it made me think about our conversation the first time we met, because I <laughs> think I was in a similar position yeah. early on. Like I was really, I was like, I have these big ideas, but I'm worried and hesitant to <laughs> pursue and execute. And you're like, 
uh, you're like, you can do this. Like you're going to manifest this and make this happen. And while I'm still moving in that path, I am much closer to doing it, but it just made me think about just hearing you talk about the book this way. Made me think about that and how sometimes it's hard to take our own advice. And it's easy to give great (laughs) advice, but taking it is something that takes time to learn. And I feel mm-hmm. like you are clearly in this place now from at least what I can tell in my perspective that you're moving here and I just love to see it. Um, Thank you. We started this conversation talking about being present in the yeah. moment and I'm going to make you not do that now and ask you <laughs> as the book is out, like what do you have coming up in the future? Like what mm-hmm. do you plan to do with the book? And then do you have anything coming up after that? What's the future hold for Dr. Laybourne? Oh, you know, definitely book tour. You know, I'd love to come chat with, you know, adoptee groups in particular. Right. And then, of course, also, you know, on the academic circuit, too. And so having that in the works. But also if folks who are listening, you know, you have a book club, you have a group that, you know, you want to chat more about this book. I would absolutely love to do that. Um, so it'll be a lot of focus on the book over, you know, over the year <laughs> and even, you know, beyond that. Um, Also, of course, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, May, uh, focusing on another successful celebration, amplifying Asian American communities here locally, here in Memphis. And so that's definitely, you know, a focus for me as well. And I think beyond that, really just staying open to the possibilities and opportunities as they unfold. Mm, I love that. I am going to have to have you back for to talk about May and talk about the yes. work you're doing in Memphis. That's a huge inspiration to me and what I want to do here in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, but for right now, we're going to just celebrate the book. The <laughs> book is Out of Place, The Lives of Korean Adoptee Immigrants. Where can people find this book? How do they get their hands on it? How do they purchase it? Tell us all the things. Oh, my goodness. So if you want your book personalized, uh, definitely purchase through Novel Memphis, which is our local bookstore here in Memphis. And I think that's so awesome that they're like, okay, we're going to sell your book. And also we need you to sign it and write whatever personalization (laughs) notes that people have written um, in these comments. Um, But also I would say indie pubs, you know, because then you can purchase through your local bookseller. I'm all about supporting local. We do not want a world where we're going to to Amazon grocery store, Amazon bookstore, Amazon, you know, pants, Amazon, you know, like, yes, I get that it is, you know, easy, fast, but there's going to be a cost down the road um, when they have set the standard and gate our gatekeepers to what we can get and what we can't get. And so I would say, please support your local bookstore. That would make me so happy. And that would make future you happy too. (laughs) A hundred percent. Thinking about yourself now, And in the future. I love it. I love it. Last but not least, how do we support you outside of the book? How do we find you, connect with you? How do folks get in touch with you if they have comments, questions? concerns yes. about what they've read in Out of Place. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, sunamlayborn.com is the website where you can keep up with what I'm doing. Of course, Instagram, um, Patrick, I'm sure you'll include it in the 100%. show notes. Um, Instagram is where I live on social media, at least for right now. And then, you know, definitely once you read the book and you love it or hate it, write that <laughs> review. I'll just write cry later. Look, I'll cry later. <laughs> tears of joy or, or, or just tears 
tears of anger or defeat. Who knows? <laughs> there will be tears. There will be tears, but not personal tears. Just not tears of tears. reflection tears on of the reflection. review itself. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, as you said, I'll have all of those things linked in the show notes for everybody, including where you can get out of place. Um, Dr. Laborn, it's it's strange to me. I don't think I've ever called you Dr. Laborn before. I know. And I I'm feel like, bad. who is this person? I feel no. bad because I'm like, you earned that PhD. You deserve I, the doctor title. So I want to give it to you. Thank you. Yeah, 100%. But I mean, yes, but we know each other. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it has been a fantastic conversation. Yes, I really appreciate you. you allowing me to join you to celebrate Out of Place. Yes. Thank you so much. A hundred percent. For everybody else, thank you for tuning in. For us, new episodes of this show drop every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. If you want to support our show, we would love if you could leave us a rating or a review. We will cry tears of joy or anger, whatever those reviews or ratings look like. You can also follow us on Instagram at Conversation Pod Peace and subscribe to Conversation Peace, the newsletter, which also comes out every Monday, not Tuesday. Paid subscribers do get access uh, exclusively to our companion podcast, Conversation Notes. That drops every Wednesday. And uh, that's about it. I cannot wait to share all of this great content with you. I can't wait to share more conversations with you, Sana. But until then, I am the titular Patrick, and this has been Conversation Peace. See y'all soon.